0: It's Brian Preston, The Money Guy, restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, The Money Guy. Welcome to The Money Guy Show. Thanks for joining us here today. It's pretty exciting what we're going to be talking about today because you can't help but open the newspaper. It seems like at least three or four times a year and see that there's um, an article on how couples are fighting about money. Um, It's like, I think, one of the leading causes of divorces in the the country. And I think it's pretty important to talk about how relationships and money go together. And that's exactly what we're going to be dealing with today on The Money Guy Show. There was an article in Bankrate um, that talked about the 12 investment mistakes couples make. And I think it's so important that we can look at this, hopefully help you not make those same mistakes that are leading to a lot of this unrest, unhappiness that's going on out there. Um, throughout the entire United States, as well as the world, let's face it, this is probably a universal problem—not even an American problem. Something we're all fighting about. If you want to go check out um, our website, it's moneyguy.com. You can also write the show—that's Brian B-R-I-A-N at moneyguy.net—and um, if you go to moneyguy.com, you can sign up to get show notes emailed to you weekly. And if you go and look at the show notes today. You go find a link to this Bankrate article, as well as you know, find out some of uh, some insight that we're providing as well. But let's jump right in because I know this is one of those topics that I think has a lot of meat to it, and I want to make sure I give you a lot of insight into this. And I'm even going to throw out some anecdotal information that um, I've dealt with with married couples when when I'm working with them about their investment planning. The first thing on, on this article that was put together by Dana Drach, and like I said, she wrote this for Bankrate.com. Um, the first thing out of the twelve investment mistakes was too many accounts, and I, I can't, I cannot agree with this more. Is that it, it's not uncommon that I will meet a married couple, or, and, and I will find out that they they have six, seven, eight accounts. You know, they might have opened, um, uh, you know, a, a mutual fund account at, at one house uh, a few years ago, and then a few years later they go open up a brokerage account through some neighbor down the street who decide they wanted to be a financial advisor for about two years. And before you know it, they've acquired six to eight, maybe even 10 separate accounts, and they're all doing separate things. You've got to look at your portfolio as one big pizza pie that's working together and make sure that a- asset allocation and everything is tied in so that everything is on the same page. So you do see that all the time where people will have um, money all over the place. And I think, you, as they point out in the article, one of the things you got to worry about is if you have accounts all over the place and your spouse does not know where they are, what happens if something happens to that spouse and you've got half of the accounts and the other one doesn't know what's going on? So make sure... You know how many accounts are out there and, and don't get so spread out with having accounts all over the place. Plus, let's face it, it's a pain in the rear when you get your monthly account statements if you have, you know, six different account statements coming in. Consolidate your life, make it all simpler. It makes things life a lot easier, that's for sure. Number 2, one spouse deals with the money manager and investment advisors. I think this is um a problem that I don't let occur. Um, at at our wealth management firm of Preston and Cleveland. We try to always make sure that we have both spouses involved because it is important to make sure that everybody buys into the process. If you have one spouse that's gung-ho about saving and investing, the other one's out there spending it as fast as you can make it, what have you really got going on? So you've got to make sure that everybody ties in. And I also think it's important. I know when we bring on new clients, we do a financial personality profile. That does not mean we can tell who has, you know, um, you know, maybe an instability here, instability there. This is just your financial personality. I do think we all individually look at money differently. And it's very interesting to me when I do these financial personality profiles to see how a husband and wife interact with their with their money. Because one might look at something one way and the other looks completely different. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's halfway entertaining to me to see how, couples do interact and how we can hopefully find and, and bridge that common ground to to get them in, into a good place. Number three, not putting enough money aside for retirement. Now what they talked about in this article article was the goal was ten percent of your take home pay, according to the the financial advisor, one of the financial advisors they interviewed. And as y'all know, if you've been listening to the Money Guy Show for an extended period of time, you know I don't think 10% is enough. I think 10% was a great number back when we had pension plans and you could count on Social Security, but as the younger listeners out there know, Social Security is not on the exactly the, the firmest of ground. And then pensions are, are pretty much going extinct like dinosaurs. So you've got to pretty much take more accountability and put more on your shoulders. And you're probably going to need to save, I know this scares a lot of people, but it is the truth. You need to be saving 15 to 20% of your gross wages. So um, take that into account and take it to heart because I do think if you're not saving for yourself, who, who, who can you count on to take care of you? Number four, too much money tied up in cash. And this is not the first time I've read this statistic. There's a lot of studies out there on 401ks and everything else where you find out that a lot of young people are um, so scared of risks, they're so scared they're going to lose money in the equity marketplace that they're just you know, freezing themselves into cash. What they don't know is, and I talked about this in the last show, the market, the whole system of investing is skewed to make sure that the equity marketplace is successful. Don't believe me? Go look at the stats out there. There's a reason that the markets up are up on a historical basis. 80% of the time, every 10 years, you can pretty much set your clock to is called probably be two down years out of every 10 years. So that leaves eight usually good years in the equity marketplace if you go back and look at historical norms. So the thing I tell you is, is that if you're so worried about risk, you think cash is going to do it for you, I got to tell you right now you're probably dealing with a negative rate of return with cash, because inflation has really come back with a vengeance. Um, We've got food prices going up. We've got oil prices going up. And the dollar has gone down in value. It's actually weak, you know, from a historical standpoint. So if you're hoarding all your money into cash you are actually probably earning a long, you know, a a net negative rate of return because you're earning, you know, somewhere probably between two to three percent, even if you have a good yielding money market. Inflation's over three percent right now. And then after you pay tax on that two to three percent, you're probably earning one and a half percent. Now you're going to say there's a few cynics out there saying, yeah, but the equities are losing money. But what you have to recognize is that when things recover, they recover fast. And on the long term, equities are going to be okay. So you've got to think about that. I mean, if you're one of these people that's got 20, 30, 40 years till retirement, don't fool yourself. Go with a diversified portfolio that is, you know, has a large portion of it invested in stocks and equities. You've got to do that or you're really shortchanging yourself. Um, let's talk about number five. One party isn't getting a voice in the investment decisions. And we kind of hit it on this earlier when we were talking about one spouse deals with the money and in investment advisors. But this is a little different in the fact that if you have two spouses One's you know kind of an aggressive thinker, and the other one's kind of a, a laid-back, really nervous about taking any risk. A lot of times you'll see that the aggressive risk-taker is the one that steps up and is the the primary voice in the money management, and they kind of just drag the other spouse through, even though they're not completely comfortable with the money management style. And that's not a healthy thing. And that's one of the reasons, going back to what I talked about with our client process, You've got to really assess the risk level of each individual and try to find common ground. And I think it's very important for couples to talk about money openly. Um, You know, I think if I haven't gotten to it, there is a point where somewhere in this article it talks about how people will be so, you know, they'll be very meticulous about the maintenance on their car. They'll get get the oil changed every 3,000 to 5,000 miles. They'll make sure their windshield wiper blades are, are changed, make sure their air pressure is right. But when it comes to their retirement plan, you ask them how much money they're saving for retirement or what they know what they're doing with taxes and so forth, they'll look at you with a blank stare. You don't want to do that, and you want to make sure that both parties involved, the husband, the wife, however the relationship's set up, that everybody's on the same page and that you're taking into account all of the different risk profiles I think it 's important i 'm um, I'm going to read a little bit because I think this is a pretty good one. It says under section five the once one party isn 't getting a voice in investment decisions it says financial advisors see it all the time one spouse loves the bigger returns often associated with stocks the other leery of risk is more comfortable with a lower return and less in stocks. What often happens the spouse who manages the investments decides the split, but the, the spouse who's along for the ride has to live with the results. Um, what spouse wants to wake up one day and see that all of this was desi- decided without them? In an era with a 50% divorce rate, many husbands and wives aren't thinking about what happens if they have to face retirement with just 50% of the money they created together and even only the accounts titled in their own names. It's the kind of things you should be giving a lot of thought to. Um, I, I think that's a very fair statement, and that's another reason to have both spouses completely involved in the process. Um, it also goes on to say, too many couples aren't investing as a team. Instead, one partner takes charge, and the other one doesn't know what's going on. He said, instead, both, and this is one of the advisors they interviewed, it says one, um, both partners need to take an active part in the investment strategy and know what's going on, not just the trusted um, partner or the person that's in charge of the finances, and that's exactly we require buy-in from both parties. I would encourage you with your own personal life. If you're the one obviously listening to the Money Guy show, you you're, you obviously have an aptitude or desire to know more about um, personal finance. You, you know, get your spouse involved. You know, get your significant other to think about these things too, because. Money is not something that impacts one out of ten of us. It impacts every one of us. And let's face it, we all are thinking about retiring at some point. Even if you don't ever truly want to stop working, you at least want to have enough money in the bank so you can pick up your marbles and go home and not have to work with your hands and back anymore. I think it's an important thing to think about. Number six, failing to diversify those assets. Um, I thought this was, I wrote a little side note here. It said, good, someone's actually... Uh, agrees with my philosophy or even maybe they they've listened to some of what we've talked about because under failing to diversify those investments it goes on and it says quote some talking points for conversation look beyond the basic labels of stocks and bonds to analyze what makes your portfolio truly diverse how are you spreading your money and risk over different categories like large and small companies foreign and domestic investments and various industries and if you remember what I liked about what it just talked about. I told you how in 1987, um, a lot of the big institutional advisors at the endowments, a lot of the universities um, started diversifying beyond just stocks and bonds. They took it to a whole nother level. Um, they, they, They started breaking out between small, large cap companies, but they also went into real estate, private equity. They went into hedge funds. You know, went into, you know, playing sector plays, like, you know, playing the natural resources. Diversification is not just buying how much do you have in cash and stocks and bonds. You've got to go much deeper in that. And you do need to take advantage of diversification because that's what's going to really help you weather the storm that we're in right now. Let's face it, it's not the best time um, that, that we've all seen out there in the equity marketplace. Number seven, no shared goals. And I think that's important. I do think that um, spouses um, and significant others do need to sit down, and you need to have a common goal. You need to talk about finances. If you don't, if you don't share a desired goal, what are you doing with your money? I think you're going to be like most people. You're going to have all this money coming in, thinking in your head that you're doing fine, but then you're going to wake up 20 years later and wonder what were we doing? You've got to have a, a, a kind of a shared goal put together a roadmap, a plan that's going to get you there and pay attention to it. It's so important and it's really so simple, but most of us are not doing it. And that's one of the things you have to make sure that y'all are sharing what your hopes and dreams are and kind of putting together a goal and a plan to make that happen. Um, Number eight, skipping regular account maintenance. It says the same people who are, and I've already touched on this, it says the same people who are religious about regular service for a car they'll keep for four years can be complacent on maintenance for retirement accounts that will allow, a lifetime. And that's the truth. You've got to make sure that you're at least looking at your portfolio You know, I I would say I like to look at portfolios at least on a quarterly basis, and that doesn't mean you're making major changes. It just means you're looking at the asset allocation. Make sure it still reflects what you think is going on out there in the economy. Um, And and then if you're going to make dramatic moves, you know, just making sure that this is something that will help you in the long term. Um, Really keep a big, you know, an outlook that gives you three, five to ten years and make sure you're looking at your asset allocation with that thought process. It goes one detail that often gets lost in the shuffle. Our beneficiary designations, one spouse or the other may not have updated beneficiary cards on various brokerage or retirement accounts, which means whoever they named at, say, age 21 or 22, a parent or a former spouse will inherit the accounts, regardless of remarriage, kids, or wills. And that is so, so important, especially in light of some of the laws that, you know, the rules have been changed on beneficiary designations that you can really do some great planning based upon what you put on life insurance, retirement accounts. Make sure your beneficiary designations account for those changes. Um Number nine, co-mingling inherited assets. One of the worst things you can do is to put um, the account in both names. Um, And and I completely agree. You know, if something should happen to um, my wife's family and she came into some assets— I would completely um, let her put that in individual name because that is family assets that she is entitled to. And, and truthfully, I'm not that worried about it because, you know, as long as we're happy, who cares if it's her assets? I think people who get frustrated about the his and hers, if, if it's family assets that come in, why should you care if it's in their individual name? Because obviously, um, if you didn't do anything, if it was from their family, I, I, I don't think you need to commingle those assets. You taint them. If you do commingle them, they become married marital assets, and then um, if something ever happens with the marriage or there's something contested, um, th- th- it kind of loses its protected status. So, And I truly mean that. If something should happen, if my wife came into some assets, I would let her put it into individual name because it just it keeps things clean. And that's the way you should do things. Do it right. Number 10, investing in things that you don't understand. How true is this? I'm often talking to you guys how I think a, how I don't think that financial planning and personal finance is the hardest topic in the world, but a lot of you are scared to death of it because you've talked to some salesperson or somebody out there who's tried to do what I call Spin your head. They spin your head by getting you so confused. It's almost like playing pin the tail on the donkey where they spin you around, get you so confused that after they you know, get you dizzy, they can get you to pretty much write a check. Well, that's not the way investing is. If you don't understand what you're doing with your money, don't invest in it. You know, that, that's usually one of the most successful investment philosophies and, and pieces of advice I can give you is if you don't understand it, don't do it. So invest in things that you truly understand and avoid things that that might be a little over your head. And that's where, you know, a few of these podcast topics we've done in the last you know few months have been some of these insurance products like the equity indexed annuities. Even my local magazine here in town is a magazine called Scoops and they um in the in the only financial section of this local magazine that focuses on the south side of Atlanta they had an article by an insurance guy who was pushing equity index annuities and I, and I couldn't believe it you know I, I was talking about your head spinning I was freaked out because we had just had a show talking about how you know dateline uh, had chris hansen do one of those behind the scenes on their sales practices and then I had that wall street journal article that talked about the sales practices and you know and the huge commissions of 9 to 10% and how Northwestern, MassMutual, and the big insurance companies you know, have a great, respectable name aren't doing these products, and then you, you find in your local magazine somebody's out there pushing these things, and these things are complicated, so make sure you're not investing in stuff that you don't truly understand. Number 11, they don't know how their advisor makes money. <laughs> you know, this is one of those things where, uh, I, as y'all probably know, I mean, you listen to the show Um, I'm a partner at a fee-only wealth management firm, and the only way we get paid is directly from our clients. So they actually see on their quarterly statements how much they're paying us. We don't get any kickbacks from anybody else or or anything else. And i got to tell you, it's somewhat of a disadvantage because I I can't tell you when you go look at prospectuses and what these other advisors are able to get away with. um, I was doing a research project here at the office, and we quickly found out That you know, a lot of these really big mutual funds that are extremely successful, the biggest mutual funds in the United States, and a lot of these big categories like growth, aggressive growth, growth, and income, a lot of them are all commission based A shares, and they're all charging like five and three quarters of one percent for every dollar you invest. Think about that you give somebody a hundred thousand dollars, and you know, and five thousand bucks goes off in a haircut immediately. That's a lot of money. So you've got to you've got to make sure you know how you're advising. You don't see that on the account statement. Those are called embedded loads and commissions that you don't see. So that's why you've got to ask and find out and do the research to know what people made because you won't actually see it on the statements. The financial industry is one of those few industries – where fees are really embedded in there, really good. Where it makes it super hard to even know what's going on. It goes on to say the um, professional offering advice might be making a sales commission, a percentage of the profits earned over a period of time, a flat fee, or a combination, depending on who you hire, the title, and the rules specific to that field. Um, the advisor Warner, who is talking in this article, says he's leery of taking advice from advisors who actually work for the brokerage houses or who hold the assets. I think it's a conflict, he says. Another benefit of going with a smaller independent, more time and attention for clients with smaller portfolios. Beware of institutions that push their own proprietary products, says Warner, who includes language and trust documents, prohibiting institutional trustees from investing in proprietary products. Oh, yeah, and Warner, just if you're wondering, he is, um, he's, in a, he's a, uh, uh, an elder law um, attorney up in South Carolina, so uh, this is this is not somebody like myself who is um, who is a fee-only advisor. I don't want you to think that um, you know that we're loading the deck here. I just, but it is nice when you actually read a third-party person who doesn't have a hand in the battle, who who's telling you that you know be careful of what you're buying and look for the you know stay away from people pushing those proprietary products because I'll tell you another side benefit if you get tired of that investment advisor who sold you those proprietary products when you go to transfer those assets to say a vanguard a schwab um, a fidelity you know another brokerage company you can't transfer it Because uh, those are proprietary products that can only be held at the brokerage house that sold it to you. You're going to have to liquidate it to move those assets, and that usually generates some type of tax bill. So think about that, too. When somebody pushes you a proprietary product, they're probably doing it because they get a little bit bigger kickback from selling something that's sold in-house. Um, Number 12, not collecting that free money at work. And how often have we talked about that here on The Money Guy Show? If I set up, if I went to your place of employment, I set up a table outside of your office, and I put, and it had sacks full of money, and it had your name penciled in, and it said, you know, John Q. Public, um, you know, when when you get off of work today at 5, 6 o'clock, walk by the table, you can pick up your sack full of free money, Every one of you who are out there listening would walk by and gladly pick up that bag of money. But guess what? Your employer that you go to is probably offering you 3% matching uh, in your 401K, your 403B, your simple IRA. You know, there's some type of retirement plan you probably have available to you at the office that you're being offered free money that y'all are passing on every year. Don't do it. That's truly free money. There's not many things out there where can to say, hey, if you give me 3%, I'll give you a 100% rate of return. Your retirement account is one of those places. The government gives your employer incentives to offer you these matching because it allows them to give more money for themselves. So take advantage of your employer taking advantage of the tax code and doing these things for you because, like I said earlier, Social Security is not going to be there for the younger people. Pensions are going the way of the dinosaurs. It's going extinct. You've got to take care of yourself. So make sure you're taking advantage of that free money. I hope that these um, 12 investment mistakes that couples often make will help you out, and um, I hope you'll tune in next week. If you want to go check out the show notes, like I said, go visit us at moneyguy.com. I also want to thank you guys for the great, great feedback you've put out there at iTunes. Um, could not be as successful without y'all putting out those great comments. Make sure you're telling your friends and family. We do. It is hard for us to keep up. I gotta tell you, every week it seems like I go on iTunes and it looks like Wall Street Journal has three more podcasts, or Business Week has added two more podcasts, and we're still a mom and pop. I mean, this is a hobby of passion. Um, have not figured out how to turn this into a, a, a cash flow positive thing. Not that that's what our goal was when we started, but it, it's still one of those things where we are we, we're doing this. This is a, a hobby of passion. I want to make sure we continue to have some grassroots success, and I need you to go share this with your friends and family so we can continue to spread the good word of good financial management so you can have that true peace of mind of being financially independent. I'm your host, Brian Preston. I'll talk to you in about a week. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management.